Greetings, salutations, and all that jazz. From Not As Sunny, Anderson, Indiana, the city not as beautiful, this is the Pack Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, David Pack, and with me, as always, is my brother, Michael. Yes, I love everybody out there. Thank you so much for listening. All right, we've got a uh, jam-packed episode today. We're very uh, subject we're passionate about, I guess. I don't know if we're passionate about it. Maybe a little bit, more than <laughs> most people, maybe. Uh, it doesn't yeah. consume my waking hours, but it is something that I'm ready to talk about for probably too long. <laughs> That's right. And it's a movie. As a movie came out in 1985... Any other facts about it? Do we are we teasing it or are we just going to say it? I don't think that we need to tease it. It was maybe the longest time between the original movie and this movie was the sequel to it. Yeah, I think, that's, I think it does still hold a record for that. I'm not sure. And I think that's what, like 46 years? 46 years. That's right. We are talking, of course, about 1985's Return to Oz. Yes. Now, as you know... Disney Plus is one of the newer streaming services out there, and one of the offerings currently available, if you want to enjoy it, is Return to Oz. Yeah, I don't know. Most people, I would say, have seen the original 1939 MGM classic, The Wizard of Oz. I'm sure. That's something that almost everyone sees as part of their childhood, I would think. That's right. They have like a tradition about it, like it comes on... TBS or some network every Thanksgiving or around Easter. I'm not sure exactly when the tradition was. That's certainly how it was when we grew up. It was a once a year thing. And it, oh boy, it was appointment television. If you missed it, you had a bad day. That's right. Well, you had a bad year because you didn't get to see it until next year. That's right. This is before, you know, you could, you could sometimes find this at a rental, uh, a movie rental store, but not always. And, uh, if you, you couldn't just buy it on video when you were younger in the 80s. It just came around on television. Right, and you can't just, as you can now, just probably go to your local streaming service and say, hi, I want to watch this, and just watch it. Exactly. So this is, of course, that's a classic musical that has a very, um, a very it's a bright and sunny outlook. Yes. Uh, this movie, not so much. No, no. If this is in the same time frame when you had movies like Labyrinth and the Neverending Story, Dark Crystal. Uh, yeah, so it had a very different flavor to it for a children's movie. I think. Yeah, I would say if you if you're really interested in this discussion, if you've already heard enough and thought I don't care about Return to Oz, this is not an episode for you. You're looking for a potato chip episode or something else. But if you do care, I highly encourage you to pause this, watch the movie, and then. Listen to this, because I think you'll get much more out of it. Yeah, it'll give it a lot more context to what the discussion is going to be. Yeah, so with that in mind... Um, All right, we're going to talk about, I think, our 10 favorite things about it and five not-so-favorite things about it. I think that's the plan. Okay, well then, we'll go ahead and do that. Number one. Experience of going to see this movie. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I think it was just because I was so hyped up because I was a huge fan of The Wizard of Oz, and this was a sequel, and I was going to get to see all my old friends again that were in the first movie. And so I remember going to the theater. I remember, I think we went with our cousin, Richard, Okay. as part of it. And 
It was a Crossroads Mall in Beckley, West Virginia. Yeah. Which was not the best theater, but it was... Yeah, pretty much the only option you had. You had the Crossroads Mall and you had the Raleigh Mall. I think it was still open in 85, their theater. Yeah, otherwise you had to go to Welch, I think. Yeah, or, you know, Charleston or something like that. Yeah, but I remember going there. I remember finding my seat. I feel like we were on the right side of the theater. Not in the middle part, but on the right side. Okay. And I remember, like... They have the radio station tuned to some like rock station or top <laughs> okay. forty station, and like the search is over by Survivor was playing. Gosh, you remember this much better than I do. Yeah, because I was just keyed up. It's like I could see more vivid colors while I was there, just <laughs> anticipation for it. Now I don't remember what the previews were for, but I do remember just that whole process of going to see the movie, the lights coming down, having my snack and everything. Well, two things about that. First of all, that's crazy that you remember that much about it. But I will say, I do remember thinking, I mean, it was a very special treat. We didn't go to the movies a whole lot growing up. No, definitely not. So this was a very special thing. Like you said, I think we went with our cousin Richard. So it was a special occasion. We were going to see this movie. I don't really remember a lot of hype. I don't remember knowing much about the movie before we went in. There may have been previews on television or advertisements, but I don't really remember anything. No, I don't think so. I just think we knew that there was a movie returned to Oz. We found out about it somehow. I don't know if there was a preview or we saw an ad somewhere or just our Might parents, paper. Your parents were watching out for us and say, hey, let's see what movies are out. Oh, Return to Oz. I, but I feel like I knew about it in advance at least a little bit. Right. You know, I'm the same with you. I have no idea what the previews were. I, though at that age, I remember liking everything about it. I remember liking the previews, just the whole experience, the popcorn, the snacks. It was just an event because, again, it didn't happen very often. And I remember afterwards, this was like we were home like the next day or two even. We were playing charades, and I was guessing, and you two were trying to think of something, and you were reenacting the scene from Return to Oz, and I just did not know what it was. Uh, it was, uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, it was a scene in a river, and they're trying to I remember to that, yes. Yeah, and I just could not guess what you were doing. I had no idea. Yeah, I remember we were like dragging chairs out to try to make a makeshift, you know, conveyance for the river. And uh, we thought we were killing it. And you just <laughs> were not getting it at all. So No, I, don't, it, I could not get it. I gave up, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I didn't know if you were just kind of toying with us. Like, I have no idea what you're doing. No. Continue making a fool of yourself. And maybe I'll get it in a minute. No, but I mean, I don't remember going to see... All the movies that I've seen, I've, I have seen a lot over the years. Sure. There are some that stick out more than others, but for some reason, that one really sticks out. Well, that's very cool. And uh, <laughs> will it live up to the hype? Will it live up to the excitement? We'll see. And the only one way to find out. Number two. So the next thing I want to talk about is kind of the contrivance of getting Dorothy on track towards Oz. Right, because there was no tornado this time around. No. So she, she starts the movie out. She's in bed. She can't sleep. And we learn through the course of the film, the early portion, that she hasn't been able to sleep through the night since the tornado. Which is about six months ago. Right. So it's six months later in the movie when this takes place as far as chronologically as a sequel. 
and she can't sleep. Uh, and she sees a shooting star outside, which, okay. I mean, that's a cool thing to throw into a movie. You'll see that a lot sometimes, the shooting star. Like a Spielberg movie, you'll just be there. Yeah, almost all of them have shooting stars. Yeah, I don't know why that is, but anyway. Uh, it's a touch of magic. I don't know. But anyway, she wakes up, and she's doing chores, Aunt Em wants her to sleep well because she's no good to her in the morning if she doesn't have a good night's sleep. Aunt Em's all about the work. And she is. That hasn't changed much between the two movies. She's kind of really all about getting the chores done. Uh, so anyway, Dorothy's one of her chores is, I guess, to work with the chickens to make sure that they've uh, laid eggs and to gather their eggs. That's right. And one of the chickens is named Belina. And apparently Belina has not done a good job throughout her life of laying eggs in the morning. No, not at all. But she does find something out in the coop or the barnyard, and that is a key. And Dorothy looks at it and picks it up, and it's all encrusted with mud. And she pokes through, and then she realizes, oh, look, it says Oz. There's a little diagonal slash through the end of the key, and so it's got a round O and a slash that makes a Z. Yeah, so it's almost like a, if you think of a no smoking sign with a circle with a line through it, it's almost <laughs> like that. Yeah, or a Ghostbuster symbol. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's kind of how it is. And she's all excited. She's convinced that it's a key from Oz. Now, <laughs> for whatever reason, which I don't buy for a second, Aunt M says, oh, that's just the key to the house. I turned it a hundred times. And I was like, Do you really? Your key had it? Oz on it? Right. Or maybe it was just a coincidence that I had to slash through it. Okay, whatever, M. You're very uh, dismissive. But maybe she just didn't want to feed into Dorothy's uh, paranoia. <laughs> psychosis. Yeah, psychosis, <laughs> neurosis, whatever you want to call it, fantasy. Um, but yeah, so she's really, Dorothy's really excited about this. And as a kid, I really wanted this key. Oh, it was so cool. I, I like old keys anyway. I still think they're kind of neat looking you know these old chunky yeah we've got quite a few keys i mean not like a lot but half a dozen or so i guess right yeah these kind of old looking antique keys uh they just kind of look cool i mean uh, most keys today i'm sure they're much more secure but the old keys just kind of looked more substantial and this key particularly had a lot more character yeah it had a lot more character and this was just a neat looking key and it plays a part later in the movie uh, as we'll get on yeah. to further discussion. Saves, saves her bacon. Right. It helps her. So this was just a neat thing. So, uh, yeah, that key was pretty cool to me, and uh, I would still want it today. I yeah. would not say no if someone gave it to me. Yeah, if anyone's looking for, like, hey, I know what I'll get for a birthday or something, hey, you know what? That key, you could do a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, I would not. I would say, oh, that's nice, but inside I'd really be excited. I would just be too embarrassed to show it. <laughs> Number three. Okay, so the next topic is the, I guess, the institution that Dorothy was taken to to help treat her uh, inability to sleep. Now, when I saw this in the theater, I was pretty taken aback because I was expecting something very different when I went in to see this movie, and I did not expect her to be taken to what looked for all intents and purposes like an asylum with a storm outside (laughs) and this... Creepy-looking doctor and nurse and orderlies going around, almost like one flew over the cuckoo's nest she walks into. (laughs) Yeah, I do remember thinking that as a kid, like, what is going on? Who are these people? I mean, I was already annoyed. I didn't understand as a kid why everybody didn't look exactly the same 
as a movie that was made 46 years ago. Right. I, I was ready at that point to return to Oz. <laughs> I was ready to get out of Kansas and get out of this mental hospital institution that she's in. But part of that, she gets interviewed by the uh, doctor of the place uh, about, I guess, her um, false memories, uh, what he thinks are anyway. And he's explaining, she's explaining rather calmly, like, oh, this is the Tin Woodsman, and this is the Cowardly Lion, and all these things. And he's just kind of nodding his head, and kind of, you know, looking at Aunt Em like, poor girl, let's see if we can help her. <laughs> right, she's clearly not well. And so, yeah, he's explaining how everything works, and he rolls out this machine that he's going to use to help her. And he explains it has a face, like you do. And, um... This machine looks pretty cool. I mean, I would not ha- mind having this hanging on the wall in my house. It looks like art. <laughs> and if, it's one of those things where if you don't know what it is, you would think, oh, this is just some old equipment. But then you would say, oh, but it's not just any old equipment. This was the machine from Return to Oz. Right. I don't know. I just something about it. The, whoever production design did that, I thought they did a really good job. The way that they tried to anthropomorphize, is that the word? Something. It's pretty close, if it's not. I think I put too many syllables in that. But anyway, try to make it a machine, but give it some type of human feature. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. No, I understand. It has a face. It has a tongue and all that good stuff. But this place was scary. She's like locked up in a room for most of the time. Uh they strap her to this gurney. They put these electrodes, like this thing on her, I guess, almost like headphones that I'm wearing, around her ears. And they're getting ready to just basically shock the memories out of her electroconvulsive therapy. And then the power goes out, thankfully. Yes, that was uh, saved by, the, not the bell, but by the bolt of lightning or whatever it happened. Saved by the bolt. And then you hear these people screaming in the background. And uh, then she escapes. Out of the asylum. Yeah, right. There's a little girl who helps her escape, and she, <laughs> she wonders what the screaming is, and she says, oh, those are the patients who've been damaged. They keep them <laughs> locked in the cellar. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is extremely dark for a children's movie. Yeah, very dark. Uh, but then she uh, makes it out. She escapes from the nurse and goes into the river and finds this, looks for all intents and purposes like a large crib and gets into <laughs> it. And... Uh, then when she wakes up, it looks like she's going through like a huge lake for a while. and then Ocean, I think. Ocean, yeah. And then all of a sudden she's in Oz. That's somehow the storm took her to Oz. Yeah, that's how it happens in this movie. And uh, I'm glad she got out of the institution. That, I mean, it was a very scary place, these sparse rooms. Uh, even Aunt M seems nervous to leave her there. Even Aunt M doesn't seem quite convinced that this is a good idea. <laughs> that's right. But she, but she does leave her. I mean, even poor Toto is like crying, like I want to go. It's, it's just, it's very traumatic. Almost. Yes, Toto was howling. And again, as a kid, I thought that's not Toto. That looks like a Norwich Terrier, not a Cairn Terrier. Okay, I wasn't really thinking that, but I'm sure it doesn't look quite right to me even today. <laughs> Number four. 
So when Dorothy arrives at Oz, she's surrounded by this desert. And she's got a talking chicken in the uh, little playpen or whatever with her. <laughs> and it's Belina, who can talk now. It's never really made clear how Belina got there. I know. It's somewhat of a contrivance. There's a lot of problems and plot holes and conveniences in this movie. And we'll get to that when we talk about the things that we don't like about this movie. But what I do like about this portion of the movie is this whole concept of the deadly desert. Yeah, the, very cool. And what confused me at first, I thought, how does she know what the deadly desert is? I, I didn't see it in the previous movie. Did she just look down when she was flying back? And I guess that's the deadly desert. <laughs> I just, I wasn't sure. I know there was some kind of Oz 101 geography lesson that must have taken place in the original MGM movie that we weren't privy to. That's right. <laughs> and clearly, I mean, looking at some of the research that we've done for this, this movie, which is based on a couple of the L. Frank Baum books, are much more uh, faithful to the source material than the MGM movie was. Right. This was, in some ways, really a sequel to the books than more than it was a sequel to that movie. But they did not make that clear. <laughs> no, they certainly didn't make it clear to this 10-year-old at the time. No, not at all. But The Deadly Desert was cool. I liked the effect of... Uh, there's a scene later when someone falls into the, the desert and they just turn to sand. That's what made it deadly. Yeah, that was the portion. That was why it got its name, the Deadly Desert, because because if you touched anything, and all alive, any of the sand, anything alive would turn to sand. So so, but luckily, from where Dorothy landed, there are stepping stones that lead her into Oz, and right to these trees that have lunch pails attached to them. Oh, yeah, the lunch pail tree. Right, and uh, that was kind of a cool thing. Um, I didn't think it was as cool as the Deadly Desert because, you know, it was a little bit too much like, all right, when Dorothy first gets there, she finds these trees with apples that were alive, and this is kind of treading the same ground we've already seen. And some of the pails were greener and some were red, and Belina instructs her when Dorothy goes to pick one, make sure you, you know, pick a fresh one or a ripe one. Right, right. And so, yeah, Dorothy gets a couple, one for now and one for later. And she opens one. It's got a ham sandwich in it. Yeah, it's wrapped in wax paper. Yeah. I, you know, I think any sandwich wrapped in wax paper is going to be better than any sandwich that's <laughs> not wrapped in wax paper. Wouldn't you think that's true? Oh, I, definitely. None of this, you know, silly sandwich bag stuff for me. If you really want to get, <laughs> you know, me in the sandwich eating spirit, you just put that stuff in wax paper and all of a sudden I'm just magically hungrier. <laughs> yeah, that was truly, that's how she knew she was in Oz, because she found this lunch pail tree right next to the deadly desert. Though I, I still want to see what an unripe lunch pail tree looks like. Yeah, what do you think it had in that pail? You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just a tiny sandwich, just, you know, flour that wasn't bread yet, or <laughs> I have no idea. Or it was unripe, so it's something not very good. I yeah, don't know. I don't know. Such, you, such as the strange <laughs> chaos of Oz, I let guess. Let your mind wander. Number five. 
now to discuss one of the more terrifying aspects of this movie, and that is the dreaded wheelers. Oh, yes. Yeah, they, they were kind of intense, again, for a kid's movie. Oh, I know. I can imagine like a four- or five-year-old watching this just leaving screaming when they saw these wheelers come out. They don't look like anything human. They have those weird contorted long limbs on their bodies. They have wheels for hands and feet. They've got these masks on that look almost like a weird, grotesque, cartoonish grimace on their face and they make this terrible (laughs) I can't do the wheeler sound sound. I'll have to add it in post uh, so you guys can hear where that wheeler sound yeah it was something that again you know she Dorothy makes her way to the Emerald City um, and there's a spray painted on the wall beware the wheelers Right, and the Emerald City is just, of course, in ruins. But again, she's trying to figure out what's happening. And uh, the wheelers come out, and they're wanting to rip her apart and throw her into the deadly desert, I believe is a threat. <laughs> right, which is kind of a rough thing. <laughs> um, poor Dorothy, you know, she, she wanders into the Emerald City after finding her house and following the yellow brick road that's all broken up. And uh, all she sees are people turned to stone. And the first living thing she sees is these monsters, besides Belina. And, of course, they're also angry, I believe, that she has a chicken. Yes. Yeah, they're really... You, you hear a lot about this <laughs> anger towards chicken. Uh, there's, there's these rocks that keep coming to life, and you see their faces, but they don't ever speak to her. They're just spying. Right. And uh, the rocks have eyes. The rocks have eyes. The hills have eyes. The rocks have eyes. And uh, they're all worried about this chicken. We, we got to... What's, you know... The, the big news here is that Dorothy Gale has returned to Oz and she has a chicken. How dare she? <laughs> How dare she? And it kind of pays homage to the original MGM Wizard of Oz because you've got characters that were introduced in the Kansas segment who also play a part in the Oz segment. So the Wheelers were the same actors, or a couple of them at least, that were the orderlies at the hospital, and they pushed this journey around that made a creaking Wheeler-type sound. So it's trying to cause, you know, I guess make you think sometimes, is this really just a dream and she's incorporating things into it, or is this a real place? Uh, it's kind of the vagueness of it. That kind of is one of the tropes that this movie uses. Yeah, they give you that lady and the tiger. You get to decide which is which. Is this really just some fever dream from Dorothy who's undergoing electroshock therapy, or uh, is this really happen? That's right. Uh, the world may never know, uh, but uh, we'll, you know, we might delve into the wheelers a little bit later when we talk about some of their stuff, but they're pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, they, they were intense. Like I said, um, everything just seemed so uh, chaotic and... Uh, Threatening. I yeah. mean, Oz felt that way, too, I guess, in the MGM movie. You've got trees that, like, no, you can't pick our apples and stuff like that uh, that were threatening. But most of the people in Oz in the first movie seemed, or the original movie, I should say, seemed nice. And now everyone just seems crazy. Well, they were friends. You know, she was going off and she was finding these friends and they were going to Steve Step together. In this movie... A lot of the people she finds, and we'll go into this a little bit, they're just so inept that she just kind of becomes <laughs> the leader and has to lead people along and tell them what to do and when to do it. It's very odd. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the wheelers, they were a shock to the, to the senses. And <laughs> definitely. Number six. So the next character or portion of this movie I want to talk about 
is uh, as Dorothy's running from the wheelers, she finds that key. I think Belina might even suggest she use the key. As she's in the dead end of this uh, alley, there's a little keyhole, or seems to be a keyhole in the wall, and she uses this key, and it swings open, and she escapes the wheelers. All right, and they, of course, threaten that she'll have to come out sometime, but for at least for now, she's safe. Right, and so she looks around this little room, and in it, she sees a mechanical man, and as she reads eventually and uh, finds out, it's TikTok. And the one-man army of Oz. Yeah, he is the royal army of Oz. That's right, and uh, he's got these gears on him that are actually, they're almost wind up, like... If you think of a wind-up toy, he's got, what, three of those, right? Yeah, he's got one for speech, he's got one for thinking, and one for... Movement, action. Movement and action, yes. And uh, I, uh, as a kid, I just loved the look of this character. Everything about this character, I loved the voice of the character. I was obsessed with the whole wind-up thing. I just thought that was the neatest thing. Uh... Just the thought of, oh, look, he has a different winding for his thinking, and he has a different winding for his speech and action, and uh, it was just in- inventive, I thought. The way that the, the character looks is impressive. Yeah, I may or may not have wound my thinking gears before I took a test. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know we have a, it's like a wall clock. I think it might even be called a grandmother clock. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's kind of like a wall-mounted grandfather clock, Uh, but it's got two different spaces for a wind-up key, one for time and one for chimes. And uh, even when, every time I wind that clock, I think about, or not every time, but I sometimes think about TikTok when I wind that thing up. Well, it it winds very similarly. Right. The clockworks are very similar to whatever works were inside of this TikTok character. And he could, you know, walk with some difficulty, but he got around. He could spin around and attack the wheelers for Dorothy. And it's kind of crazy the way this was done. They actually had a person inside uh, the body of TikTok, and he was, like, having to bend over backwards to make those movements that TikTok does. Yeah, it's crazy. You can find pictures of this online, and maybe we can put some pictures on our website. But he's pretty much folded in half and having to rock himself back and forth to do the TikTok motion while the top portion of TikTok is all radio controlled yep, and mm-hmm. puppeted. So uh, it had to hurt this guy to do this action. But it, it's pulled off pretty well as far as a practical effect instead of a special effect. Yeah, I mean, he makes you believe that he's a mechanical person. So I guess from that standpoint, it's a success. But it's, you know, this is the first thing that I feel like, okay, this is kind of like what I expected from this movie. This is an interesting character who is kind and is all about Oz and obviously uh, was spared whatever carnage or devastation that was has befallen everybody else. Yeah, he didn't get turned to stone. And I think he even admits that he was told by Scarecrow to wait there for Dorothy to show up. Right, and he wasn't turned to stone because the villain of the piece, who we find out is the Gnome King, has turned everybody to stone, but TikTok is not alive, and so he couldn't be turned to stone. In fact, he values his non-life quite a bit. (laughs) He's very proud to not be living. Uh, So kind of a weird character flaw or trait, but either way, TikTok. That was uh, uh, very cool. He almost looks like the Pringles guy, uh, <laughs> a little bit with a hat, and, and you know, I kind of 
irks me that today when most people hear TikTok, they think of the app and they don't think of, you know, the mechanical man. But <laughs> right. Somebody online has to refer to him as steampunk Wilford Brimley. <laughs> but uh, either way, it's an interesting look of a character. And uh, I was pleased with it as a kid. And I think it kind of would hold up today if they ever made a movie like this. I would think that would look pretty good even by today's standards. Yeah. And there's one of my, you know, his favorite scenes, but he's going out and fighting the wheelers who, it's kind of weird, they almost communicate like velociraptors with each other, <laughs> just kind of squeaking and, you know, uh, wheeling at each other. But then he goes out and he, like, hits you know, them with a lunch pail, and then he grabs one of them and tries to get information about what's going on and who's in charge and, you know, where, like, Mombi is, who's, like, kind of furthering the story. And he's almost talking like Max Headroom the whole time. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, that wheeler, it gives you a big Max Headroom vibe. I get what you're going there. Uh, that wheeler is actually Pons Mars is the guy's name. Okay, the actor. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. Not the wheeler's name. We should say. <laughs> <laughs> I know him. No, the actor. And he. He was among other things. He was the voice of the Noid uh, for Domino's Pizza. He's a puppeteer. He, he's uh, best known for that probably. But uh, yeah, TikTok. I mean, he's obviously very instrumental to the movie. Um, I think he's, he was like one of my, like I said, the first time I saw him, I was like, okay, now this is more like what I wanted from this This is Oz. Right, right. So, pretty cool. I, you're, you're a mad man, but good morning, little girl. Good morning, sir. Are you Dorothy Gale? Yes, sir. Pleased to meet you. I am TikTok, the Royal Army of Oz. His Majesty the Scarecrow locked me in here and told me to wait for you. What happened to the Emerald City? And where is the Scarecrow? I do not know. Suddenly everything living began to turn to stone. When you did not arrive, I called for help until my voice ran down. Number seven. Speaking of Mombi, that's who we're going to talk about now. She was one of the, I guess, big bads in this movie. Maybe not the worst bad, of course, but she was like the lieutenant second-in-command evil person in this movie. Yeah, she was in charge and was ruling over what was left of the ruins of the Emerald City and Oz, I guess. Right. I don't know if she would, you could kind of analog her with the Wicked Witch, in the first movie with her, whereas Numb King would be the wizard. I don't know how that would even work if there had to be analog. I I would say if you were going to do that, yes, that would be the case. And the wheelers would be the winged monkeys. Yeah, So, but when you stumble, when they find Mombi, she's in this just opulent throne room with mirrors everywhere, and she's playing this weird little mandolin up to her. Uh, it's a weird scene. They enter her castle and it's dirty and it's all messed up. And then they enter this room and if TikTok's the first character that looks like, okay, this is Oz, Mombi's throne room looks like the first place that is Oz just because it looks like, okay, this is more what I thought it was going to be. And so she's talking to Dorothy and realizes that this is Dorothy Gale and she is paying close attention to her face saying that she's not very beautiful but that she will uh, keep her <laughs> until she gets bigger and is going to take her head. Yes, yeah. She has a discussion with her as she leads her away from the throne room into uh, a special portion of her castle. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Hall of Heads, might as well call it, because it's just this huge room with 31 different heads in it. 
It's like a terrible Baskin Robbins. <laughs> That's right. And so she goes up to this one, and all the heads are looking at her like, oh, am I going to be picked? Am I the lucky head today? So she takes her head from off her body. Now, you know, I was 10 years old when I was watching this, and it still freaked me out. And she holds it out in front of her, and like she puts the other head up, and then she grabs a new head and offers it to Dorothy as if to say, hey, does this look okay? How do I look with this head? Right, yeah, it was very strange um, effect. Uh, certainly startling as a kid. If you weren't expecting that, it made her much more menacing. Her whole demeanor is very, I'm above everybody, uh, and I'm better than you. And uh, I think that made for a good villain. Uh, her, her look is just kind of very menacing. It makes her more interesting of a villain than perhaps someone who just uh, is straight up threatening all the time. Yeah, and she opens these cabinets that her heads are in. They're in, in a cabinet with this ruby-looking key uh, that's tied around her wrist with a black, th- yeah, it's like lace thread. I wanted that ruby key, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talking about keys, there's two cool keys in this movie. The other one's that ruby key that Mombi has with that uh, like little ribbon around her um, uh, wrist pretty cool uh looking thing and uh you can tell okay this is uh an important thing they spent a lot of money on this this is going to be important later yes and so she throws her in this uh dungeon room actually in the tower it's a tower room yeah, it's not a dungeon. she ends up escaping out of that and she goes back down to mombi's hall of heads looking for head number 31 because she learns that in that cabinet is the powder is uh, Dorothy. Okay. Yeah, she learns that the powder of life is in that cabinet. Yes, and uh, it, it's a very intense scene. Yeah, it's a very intense scene because all the heads are asleep. I guess it was nap time for the heads. And so she's creeping on this head, and she opens the cabinet. She sees the powder of life, and she's reaching for it. But then she knocks over a little vial of some of the little magical thing. Who knows? And the head wakes up and sees her. Yeah, this is Mombi's original head. Yeah, this is the original head of Mombi. And she starts screaming. And just this very haunting, Dorothy Gale. Which, how does she know who she is? Yeah, I, she hadn't put that head on before. Yeah, I, I don't get that either. They must, I don't think they share brains or anything. So no, you, I mean, later we find out one of the heads threatened one of the characters, but she hadn't put that head back on yet, so she never carried the threat out. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's when she goes ahead and reaches for the powder of life, Dorothy does, the head, like, tries to bite her. Yeah, that is a, I mean, that is a whole creepy scene because <laughs> all the heads that were sleeping start screaming. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Dorothy sneaks past Mombi, who's asleep in her bed. Who is snoring. Who is snoring. Without a head. Right. And then you, when, you, <laughs> when you see the, the body stand up, when the other heads start screaming, you see there's no head on this body, so it's snoring with no... I guess it's just snoring out the neck, which is a pretty <laughs> disgusting thing. Uh, but, oh, man. I mean, talk about the creepiest scene in this entire film. This makes you think, is this a kid's movie? Is this PG-13? There's no child today that I think eight years or younger that can sit through this scene and not get just ooged out. Yeah, they're going to be covering their eyes. They're going to, oh, I'm scared. They're, they're going to be in your bed later that night. <laughs> yeah, just be ready for that. Yeah, that was definitely a creepy scene. But I think one of the more interesting characters in this film, Mombi, just yeah. because uh, visually, her demeanor, uh, just more interesting than 
Uh, I would say the Wheelers, for example. Yeah, she's a very well-relighted villain. She's very villainous. Um, the way she carries herself, like she said, uh, and just the whole concept of a person with removable heads. Yeah, a great action figure concept if they'd ever went through with it. <laughs> no, uh, they did not. But uh, I, I might have got a, a Mombi if they made one. So Dorothy finds out about this powder of life that she's trying to steal from Mombi's 31st head, her original head, from a character she meets in the tower room where she's hidden or thrown into, and that's Jack Pumpkinhead. Oh, Jack Pumpkinhead, yes. I really like this character. I really thought that, uh, you know, the puppetry or the way that it was done was really believable. If you tried to make a scarecrow made of sticks and it was stuffed on over with a pumpkin head come to life, would they walk and talk like this? Yeah, sure, probably. Right, yeah, it looks pretty good. I mean, I, I guess there's somebody in the suit uh, moving this thing around, but its its limbs are so thin and uh, just the whole appearance doesn't look like somebody could fit inside of it. Right. But it would be difficult to have something this big as a puppet. I really don't know how they did it. I guess there was somebody in the suit. But... uh I don't know. I liked this character. He's not, he doesn't really do much in the movie, but his characterization is neat. He just, his voice just seems so calm. He's very childlike in a lot of ways. So he calls Dorothy mom or right. wants to anyway. Right. But he just kind of, I wanted, I want this guy to read me a bedtime story. <laughs> just, he just seemed so chill. And uh, I guess uh, looking up, Brian Henson is the person who did the voice, uh, Jim Henson's son. And I think he was also part of the puppetry of this movie. But, uh, yeah, it was just an interesting character who would uh, interact with Dorothy. And like you said, he thought Dorothy was his mom at first. And uh, he's very hapless. I mean, he, 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 he's fallen apart when she first finds him. He's, he's lost an arm and a leg, which I guess kind of makes him the scarecrow of this movie. Yeah, I would say so. He would be the scarecrow. I guess TikTok's the tin man then. That's kind of obvious. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. So uh, uh, and up in this tower room, uh, they all, they're, they're also building a, a, a way out of the room, and that's uh, going to be the gump. Uh, that gets put together with the powder of life that Dorothy finally gets back up there. Yes. Um, uh, d- between this, she frees uh, TikTok, who was ran down, who who couldn't help her with Mombi at first because his yeah. action had wound down. So he, she he wore he wore himself out fighting those wheelers. That's right. He wore <laughs> himself out. So she takes him upstairs, tells him the plan neglects to wind his thinking parts, unfortunately, so they're not quite done when they need to be. No, he's telling, like, Jack to tie his feet together and stuff like that. Right, yeah. Crazy TikTok. With his thinking parts wound down, he's just dumb. That's right. He's just real fun at a party then, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Drunk TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, which, uh, yeah, definitely uh, a card. But uh, that Jack Pumpkinhead character, he's... I, like I said, he's visually, again, okay, this fits with more of what I thought we were going to see from this film. Exactly. What is this? A man? 
please. My name's Jack. Jack Pumpkinhead. May I call you Mom, even if it isn't so? Be careful, Jack. Number nine. So they fly out of this tower room and finally land on the mountain of what we're going to talk about. This next topic, which is the Gnome King. Yes, and he's the main villain of this story. Yes, he's wanting to... And he kind of explains his motivation to Dorothy after she lands on his mountain and falls through this crack into his uh, throne room about how... All the jewels in Oz are his, and the Emerald City is in ruins because he took all the emeralds because he considers them stolen because they're his emeralds. Right, and one of the things, even watching it as an adult to prepare for this podcast, I, I he almost sways you to his way of thinking. He's the most reasonable villain at first, you know, where he's almost laying it out like a debate, a logical argument for why he should be the rightful owner of all this stuff. <laughs> you wouldn't want someone to take things that belong to you. Well, these emeralds are mine, and they were taken from me unfairly. Don't you think that's unfair that they took my emeralds? Right, and Dorothy's, you have so much. That is not the point. You know, <laughs> this is just like, okay, well, fine. Okay, you win. They were wrong to take the emeralds, and you're not a villain. You're actually the hero of the piece. I will join you, Gnome King. Yeah, so it's kind of strange the way they characterized him, but I think it's uh, it's interesting how he at least seems almost sympathetic uh, to the people. Yeah, he, you can you know see his side of the equation at least a little bit. Right, it's really monstrous on what he's done to the people in Oz. And so when uh, Dorothy lands there, she sees the scarecrow for like a hot second, and then he's gone. And at this point, he's almost trolling her, saying, Oh, yes, I've been meaning to get rid of him. Thanks for reminding me. (laughs) Yeah. And as a kid, I remember thinking, Oh, finally, somebody I know. And then they're instantly gone. So he's not just trolling her. He's trolling the whole audience. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. But then he, he, I mean, the whole time he's being very reasonable, saying, oh, you're lonely. Maybe this will help. And so he brings in the Gump and Belina. Well, actually, just the Gump and Jack Pumpkinhead and uh, TikTok. Yeah, it's important to note at this point that Belina is inside Jack's head and is hiding. Yeah, nobody knows where Belina is except for us, the audience, because you can sometimes see Belina poking out through one of Jack's eye holes. Yeah, everyone, I mean, the whole time, everybody's been freaked out about this chicken, and uh, they don't think to look around very much for the chicken. They just assume, I guess, that the chicken's dead. Right, and Dorothy doesn't seem too concerned about it. I mean, she's somewhat, but not super concerned. Right, right. And, uh, but he's also a very gracious host, so he does offer them refreshments. And he has this table here, and he has on it key uh, one of the limestone pies and hot melted silver. Yeah, the molten silver cups. Oh, man. And just for whatever reason, I thought that looked delicious. <laughs> uh, if somebody offered me some limestone pie and some hot mol- melted silver, I would start drinking it. I mean, my throat it would kill probably, you. It would kill me, of course, because, you know, as soon as it hit my stomach and, you know, hardened, it's probably the end of me. But I think it would be worth it. 
Yeah, I mean, Dorothy's very trusting of this guy who's turned everybody to stone and just, you know, hidden the, the scarecrow five minutes ago. Yeah, she eats right up. Yeah, and she just nods her head vigorously like, oh, it's good. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't last long because uh, he's used this, like, this big explosion, I guess, or the r- rumbling as... I guess people are being turned to uh, r- ornaments. Right. Yeah. I mean, he explains, and the Gnome King explains that he's gotten rid of uh, the scarecrow by turning him into an ornament. Yes. And so I guess he proposes a game to Dorothy saying, well, I'll tell you what, you and your friends can, uh, if you can go into my ornament room, and if you can choose which ornament is the, uh, represents one of your friends, and say the word Oz, it'll work. But if you don't do it, you know, you have three guesses. Yeah, he doesn't explain the consequences of getting it wrong until later, when one by one, Dorothy's friends start to disappear. And uh, it, when you hear a rumble of thunder, they've been turned into an ornament too. That's they, right. But he, they don't find out until this game has already started. <laughs> That's right. Oh, by the way, there's some high stakes to this game. <laughs> Although it's interesting with the uh, the appearance of the Gnome King, how it changes. Yes, as uh, each person is turned into an ornament, he becomes looking much less like a rock creature and more into a human creature with human eyes or human-looking a face or even like a, he starts smoking at one point. Right, it, it, he, it looks like he's wearing clothing, like a, a person. Oh, he is wearing clothing. <laughs> he reveals part of that, uh, a very specific item of clothing that he is wearing. Right, yeah, yeah. So right when uh, everyone's lost except for TikTok, and TikTok has stopped in the middle of the room and has stopped guessing. And uh, Dorothy's just out kind of chatting with uh, the Gnome King about things. Right, and she, he's, she's getting ready to go try to help TikTok and the Gnome King stops her and says, are you sure you didn't come back for these? And then reveals he has the ruby slippers. Which they paid a small fortune for to use in this movie. Right, because this movie is very faithful to the L. Frank Baum original material, which in those books, they were silver slippers. They weren't ruby slippers. Right. Uh, MGM wanted to use ruby slippers because, hey, this is in Technicolor. Silver slippers, good night. We might as well do it in black and white. But we want these babies to pop uh, (laughs) on this Technicolor screen, so we want ruby slippers. So they had to go to MGM and pay them a sum just so they could use ruby slippers in their movie because that was an MGM thing. But I think it was worth the investment because it's a very powerful moment when they're revealed. Yeah, because I knew exactly what they were when I saw them. I thought, oh, those are the ruby slippers. How'd you get the ruby slippers? Oh, wait, they're gemstones and they were probably yours, right? Okay. Right, and he explains that they fell off over the deadly desert and he found them and they're powerful. They are what gave him the power to conquer the Emerald City. So this is all kind of Dorothy's fault. It might be a mind game he's playing with her. He seems very... <laughs> Uh, cruel almost when he's describing this and explaining it to her. Yeah, I think so. But just like the doctor, he's like, oh, you can just go home. You'll forget about all about Oz. And what about your friends? Oh, who cares? You won't remember them. (laughs) This is not a big deal. Uh, But she uh, does not yield to temptation and she takes a step into the ornament room and the doors close around her and so she's left alone in there. Oh, I transformed him into an ornament. 
beautiful ornament for my palace. I had been planning to do it for some time, and your coming here reminded me. Thank you. Number 10. And deserving of a whole segment by itself is this ornament room. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was just obsessed with this part of the movie. I thought it was so neat, this concept of an ornament room. Yeah, just to have all these beautiful objects sitting around and some on pedestals, some on walls, some on different shelves, and they were all clean and all unique. All these different knickknacks around, you know, not like when you go through a, a garage sale. Or antique stores. Right, where everything's just packed together and it's not all completely shiny and clean. This was just a very pristine-looking place. Yeah, it looked like a place in Oz. Right, and it was a game that she was able to play. And so she had to touch an ornament and say Oz, and then she would either be right or wrong. She finds TikTok, who's only pretended to wind down. He wants to, her to get a look of what he turns into to give her a clue. So, you know, winding up those thinking parts before he went in was not a bad idea, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work. Everything turns pitch black, <laughs> unfortunately. It was a bad plan. But, uh, so, I mean, 100% chance I played this as a kid, I think. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, just, just because I thought, wow, this is so cool walking around this ornament room and trying to guess which one's which. It's not really something you do on The Price is Right or let's make a deal or something. But, no, but it's a pretty simple concept of a game. Just have a table or, you know, walk around and there are several objects and you've got a couple picked out in your mind and if they touch it and guess it, well, then, hey, you got it. Yeah, I don't think I want to play it now, but maybe you <laughs> no. just had to be there. Yeah, it's a kid's type game for sure. But at any rate, uh, this was cool. And, uh, you know, she finds, eventually she finds a scarecrow and she almost doesn't pick something else, but she picks this giant emerald, which seems like a huge <laughs> giveaway that this might be important if it's something from the Emerald City. Yep, and she does find him, and the emerald is the scarecrow, and she's very happy that she found him. And then he realizes, or maybe she realizes that that he was green. So she starts looking for green things. Now, when she walks into this ornament room, it is just chock-a-block with green things. (laughs) But now in this scene, there is nothing green except for the stuff that, of course, they want her to find. And so she eventually finds the other members. She finds uh, Jack Pumpkinhead, and she finds the Gump. Oh, the Gump got the guess too, didn't he? He did. I forgot about the poor Gump. The Gump waddled in with his couch and uh, touched stuff with his antler. But it's kind of cool. As as she starts finding the people, she starts... the, the Numb King begins to turn to stone again, and he's very angry at oh, Mombi. Yes. He is wroth. Yeah, Mombi, she took the safe way from the Emerald City to the Numb King's palace, which is an underground chamber. Yes. She didn't have to worry under, about... Fl- basically under the Deadly Desert. Right. She didn't have to worry about flying over the Deadly Desert or getting turned to sand. With her pack of wheelers like a <laughs> sled dogs. Yeah, it's very strange. But it does make her look like a villain. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I think you said, like, uh, I guess, is the Gump? <laughs> is he the cowardly lion of this piece? I guess so. Uh, and Belina's Toto? I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Not really, but close enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that ornament room is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I'll, let's go play that. I'll be right back.
were green. What? You were a green ornament. I was? Maybe people from Mars turned into green ornaments. So at the end of the movie, you know, the Gnome King is really angry. He destroys the ornament room and uh, starts eating the different characters. He, he grabs the Gump's body, his couch or uh, whatever that thing is, and just swallows it whole. Thankfully, the head survives. The head survives, thankfully. It broke away. It did. Lucky for that head. And then uh, he, eats, he goes to eat Jack Pumpkinhead. But then Belina... Finally lays an egg. Finally lays an egg. And then a very disturbing scene. Oh, yeah. This, this look on the rock's faces when this happens. <laughs> yeah, just, they just all start whispering poison, poison. And uh, eggs are poisonous to gnomes. And he just says, I mean, the gnome king is very calm in the face of certain death. He just says, don't you know eggs are poison to gnomes? Yeah, he just didn't. But then you see his eyes crust over like a fish that's been left out in the sun. <laughs> and it's really creepy. The head just dissolves and everything falls apart. Right. But at this point, she gets the ruby slippers and essentially wishes everyone back to the Emerald City and that everyone's alive and that everything is back to normal. It's a rather powerful spell she wields. <laughs> yeah, just with three clicks of her heels, she just all of a sudden, the movies does a 180 and everything's back to normal. Yes. <laughs> and so we have the final scene of the throne room and she gets, uh, oh, she meets Ozma. Saves her. Yes, Ozma's revealed. You see these shadows of this little girl in the mirror in Mombi's palace throughout the whole uh, scene where we're there with Mombi. And even Mombi references at one point saying there's no one left to remember her or save her. Right. And so eventually uh, Mombi uh, is found to have imprisoned Ozma, or maybe the Gnome King did it. Maybe she, maybe I think maybe Mombi did it because the Gnome King promised her 30 heads. Yeah, I think so. Um, but Ozma's the rightful ruler. Her dad was ruling the King of Oz before uh, Scarecrow the, took the, over, yeah. And before the wizard took over. And uh, at first, everyone's screaming, you know, wanting Dorothy to be the Queen of Oz. And when Dorothy wishes she could be at both places at once, then it's like the ruby slippers glow and Ozma's revealed. Right. So is Ozma Dorothy? It's not clear to me. It's very strange. Yeah. But she does end up leaving. Uh, Dorothy ends up leaving and going back to Kansas. And everyone's happy to see her. And Uncle Henry is no longer <laughs> limping around. He's actually working on the farm again. And she's just a happier person. Yeah, and they find Dorothy. I mean, she's filthy. She's by the river. And uh, I guess they've been searching for her. And uh, they find out that the institution has burned down. <laughs> the doctor died because he ran in to save his machines. The nurse is locked up in a uh, cell, very similar to the one that Mommy was locked up in, naturally. So they're really pushing the parallel between the two worlds. Um, it's a very, it's kind of a disturbing scene in and of its own, but the movie does end on a positive note with, uh, Dorothy being able to check in on her friends and her friends check in on her to the mirror in her room. Yeah. And Ozma says, if you ever want to come back, just basically let me know and I'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So pretty powerful, pretty powerful stuff. So that's how the movie ends. Um, now let's, let's talk about some of the things we didn't like about the movie. Okay. Um, that little girl from the institution, who's Ozma, by the way. That's her counterpart in our world. Yep. And um, that's not really her voice of Ozma. They had another girl do it because they didn't think her accent was, the accent was like too British. Oh. So that's really the director's daughter doing the voice. Oh, okay. Um, 
but it's very weird. She just when we first meet her, she walks into the room with a pumpkin. It's just kind of a way to shoehorn inject pumpkin head yeah. in the institution. Like here, Dorothy, here's a pumpkin. It's almost Halloween. Yeah, huh? yeah. I, I that seemed like a false note, even when I was watching it as an adult. It's like, what are they doing? And then you know, she comes in this little girl to save Dorothy when the power gets cut. And uh, she undoes the straps on the gurney and takes her and they hide and they, they run down to the river while the people are chasing them out of the institution. And uh, then she disappears. You don't see the little girl anymore. That's it. Yep, gone. And Dorothy doesn't seem to care. It makes <laughs> Dorothy seem really callous. And then at the end, when she finally sees the girl, she's like, oh, I thought you drowned. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, you, you did exist. I forgot. Uh, another annoying part of the movie, uh, even though an important part, the annoying part was just Belina, the chicken. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of Belina. The, the jokes were terrible, always just incessantly talking, especially at the beginning of the movie, just would not hush up. Yeah, I think the point was, oh, look, it's a talking chicken. It talks. We need to emphasize the point that this chicken talks. But it's just a bunch of bad jokes, I mean, in my opinion. Uh, and just... At the end of the movie, you know, like a deus ex machina. Yeah. It's a deus ex pullum with the chicken <laughs> who just kind of is the one who destroys the villain. It's like, what? what? And I guess they had to tie it in. The fact that they were all worried about this chicken is because eggs were poisonous. But I don't know. It just seemed really far-fetched and forced, even for a fantastical movie like this. Yeah, what a dumb way to end it. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, also didn't like the gump. The Gump character. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, horrifying in some ways because he says, oh, the last thing I remember before he came to life because the powder of life was used to bring this poor mounted stuffed head on the wall to <laughs> life. And he says, the last thing I remember was standing in a field and hearing a loud noise. <laughs> uh, and then he wakes up and his body is a couch with palm fronds tied to it with rope. And, and a like, broom tail. And a broom tail. Like, all right, you're alive now. Almost sounds like some nightmare to wake up to. <laughs> right. Dr. Mingala type thing. Uh, yeah, just kind of a worthless character. I never liked how he just fell apart and didn't care. Right. He just, well, he seemed almost happy to not be alive either. He joined a TikTok and that happiness. Yeah, he's like good riddance that he's just ahead. And uh, I didn't like when the gum fell apart and they were falling. They just seemed to be falling in slow motion and they just kind of land on the the couch part of the gum's body. You'd think they would be dead falling from that height. Yeah, I know. It's some sort of Oz magic must protect them. I don't know how, though. <laughs> it's very strange. I don't know. I guess otherwise the movie would have been pretty short. <laughs> exactly. And violent. <laughs> uh, I also didn't like just the whole... Oz didn't look like the way I expected it to. I'm expecting this 1930. This is huge. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this 1939, beautiful, colorful land, and she gets there. She finds her old house from the first movie. The Munchkin Land is nowhere to be found. It's just gone. Yeah, yeah. the, the uh, Yellow Brick Road is in ruins, and I mean, just it looks terrible. Yeah, she picks up this brick, and it just looks like a yellow brick, obviously, but she's she's just distressed. Belina doesn't care, because Belina had never been there, but Dorothy's, she, I guess, is a stand-in for the audience, like, oh, you're expecting something nice, huh? Well... Guess what? Right. Not so much. And then she runs to uh, Oz, and she somehow gets the there Emerald in like... The Emerald City, you mean? Yeah, the Emerald City, and she somehow gets there in like a minute. Yeah, it took, and, it took half the movie in 1939 to get and, to the Emerald City. And it's in like little ruins. Uh, it's just rocks everywhere. 
no building standing. It's like a bomb went off. And it, was, it looks like Rome or something with all like <laughs> pillars and all these statues and stuff like that. Like some ruins. Yeah, Sto- like, Stonehenge, which really was shot not too far from there, actually. Well, I, okay. Some of the scenes anyway. Well, maybe but. so. But but that just, I thought, what is this? I was not expecting this for uh, the Emerald City. And I guess there were a lot of budget cuts from this film. And so you'll see a lot of reused sets and uh miniatures and yeah, they had big plans but they were very scared about this movie after a while they just started to cut things out right so that that's maybe one thing i just didn't like the whole dystopian broken oz that was not at all what i expected oh and the main thing i didn't like about it speaking of things that were cut out of the movie or suffered from cuts to the movie are the scarecrow the tin man and the cowardly lion Right. These were big, heavy hitters in the original movie. And they're on the poster of the movie. It shows her on that stupid gump uh, (laughs) couch. And in the background with her on the couch, there are some characters from the movie like Jack Pumpkinhead and TikTok. But also with her are the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion. Yeah, clearly they had to do that to get people to go see this movie because they knew people were going to be looking for those characters. And if they knew that the Tin Man doesn't even get a speaking role, that the Cowardly Lion, which, okay, like he was in the books, is just a beast who never speaks, at least in this film, they would be a little turned off. Yeah, well, it didn't work because <laughs> nobody went to see it. <laughs> yeah, it underperformed if you look at the budget versus what the box office was. It was a disappointment. But it's, it's a cult classic, so I would definitely recommend you going to see it. And now, this is a, a little surprise. Looky here. Oh, what These is this? These are oh. Topps 1985 two packs or four packs of cards from the movie. You, you, this is what you like buying in the store. It's got six stickers inside and one stick of bubble gum. Oh, these are very cool. So, yeah, these are the originally... You got... Mine have TikTok and Dorothy and Belina on the front. Mine, one has Scarecrow and one has Jack Pumpkinhead. So, are we going to open these? Of course. Why why wouldn't you open them? So, the the gum has got uh, dextrose, corn syrup, gum-based softeners. (laughs) I bet they worked not so well after 35 years. Natural and artificial flavors, artificial colors, and BHT to maintain freshness. (laughs) I'm not going to test that. But this is from 1985. Walt Disney Productions put these out. So will I get my favorite things or my least favorite things? I don't things? know. Let's find out. I'm going to open a pack, and I'm going to see what I get. Okay. So, well, this is uh, false advertising with my first sticker. Uh-oh. Why you got? Because it's a picture of Dorsey with the Cowardly Lion. Oh, no. That doesn't even happen in the movie, does it? Nope. What else you got? I got... Uh, the Tin Man. <laughs> this is a whole pack of lies. <laughs> the literal pack of lies. Uh, the Scarecrow. All right. Well, you know, those are cool cards. I mean, if you're looking for three, that's not bad. Uh, uh, and I got a Princess Mombi. Technically, because this is a movie, Mombi is a Disney princess. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're right. I'm just throwing that out there. And I got the Gnome King, which is Earth's counterpart, <laughs> uh, the doctor from the institution. And I got a Wheeler. Ooh. Pretty creepy. Well, I got Toto. Oh, little Toto. And TikTok. Oh, now I'm a little jealous. And follow the yellow brick road, which is in a broken shambles of ruins. <laughs> uh, a scarecrow. Okay, that's, I got that one. 
a all's not lost, little Dorothy. Oh, that's the the Gnome King trying to synthesize, yeah, comfort you know. her. And I am not alive and never will be. Thank goodness. <laughs> so strange. That's what TikTok says. Yeah, well, you know, that's just how he felt. He hates being alive, I guess, or he's glad that he's not. Well, that was an excellent pack. I hope I get some good stuff in my next pack. Okay, let's see what I got here for my next pack. Well, okay, I got another cowardly lion. All right, well, I'll take that one then. Um, I got a, a different Scarecrow card. Oh, that's cool. It says the Scarecrow. Just in case you didn't know, the Scarecrow looks exactly like Scarecrow. It's Scarecrow. And I got a Toto. And I got a TikTok. Boy, they didn't make many of these unless we're just really unlucky. <laughs> Who knows? I got to follow the yellow brick road. And I got, uh, I think, a different Tin Man. Yeah, it looks different. A different Tin Man. Okay. Well, that's pretty... Look, it's oh, still pretty cool. I got a gump head. Oh, sorry. I've got a jack pumpkin head. Okay, with, finally. With, was, with uh, Dorothy. I was hoping we'd get a pumpkin I've got head. one with Dorothy and TikTok holding Belina. Okay, well, that's three characters. I got another one of the same card. <laughs> that's <laughs> Dorothy and TikTok and Belina. Oh, man, as a kid, I'd be torn up if I got a double like that. <laughs> oh, this might, I might have to put this on, like, my cover of my books. It's... <laughs> Dorothy hugging TikTok and it says, I love TikTok. <laughs> I think you should make a TikTok video with that in it. Yeah. And the Cowardly Lion, which I think might be a different Cowardly Lion. That's than definitely you a different of the Cowardly Lions I got. And I didn't look at the back of these. They might be, some of them actually say stuff on there, like little bits of the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. You got little bits of the movie. And of course, they've got also, I guess if you collect them all, you can put together a big piece of a puzzle or something. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, this one ex- explains where Belina says, this isn't bad. I think I'll remain in Oz permanently. That's one portion of the movie that's strange. Belina just stays. She doesn't. Just, she decides not to go home. Looks like the back. some of these cards actually explain the movie because this card says, back in Kansas, Dorothy stares at her reflection in the cozy room upstairs. Our young heroine, our young heroine, not like the drug, but hero, <laughs> yeah, female, we know. has found love and adventure in two different worlds. Someday, perhaps, she will return. Turn to Oz, the end. Oh, wow, the end. That must be the last card in the series. I'm not sure how many they made of these, but uh, very cool. I'm glad we got these. I'm, I'm just really curious to try this gum, but I'm not going to. I'm afraid to try the gum. It <laughs> looks really strange. <laughs> I mean, it still is pink. Maybe we'll put some pictures up. It, it doesn't smell like gum anymore. It just smells no, it doesn't. like nothing. Like sawdust. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, that's, that's the discussion of Return to Oz. I know this has been a long episode. Oh, very long. But you didn't have to listen to the whole thing all at once. Take, take a break. It's too late to tell you to take a break now. But uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. That's right. And if you like what you hear and you want more content like that, uh, drop us a line and let us know about it at... Uh, yeah, drop us a line. Let us know at packbrospodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to facebook.com slash packbrospodcast and follow us there. Yep. Twitter at packbrospodcast, www.packbrospodcast.com. And several of those options, just reach out to us and say, hey, this was great. Or, you know what, maybe stick to potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want us to talk about another movie... And you have one in mind, let us know. Or if there's anything else that you want a different show topic, we're totally open to suggestions. There's no guarantee we'll follow them, but we're open to suggestions. All right. Thanks. Creeper scratching up the door. So this is our time to say goodbye. All right. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 